This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, uh, now before we uh, proceed with the 1974-75 season, uh, it's a good time for me to go. Oi, oi! Don't oi. forget, don't forget. You uh, you can uh, you know support us uh, by by or, or patronise us in the nicest possible way uh, by becoming a member of the Chelsea Fancast Patreon page. Uh, or Patreon, if you prefer. Uh, it helps us to cover the cost of running the shows, uh, which, believe it or not, is quite a lot of money anyway um so if you want to do that it would be lovely if you could uh, and uh, it's very easy to do just go to www.patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast thank you very much to jay who i noticed signed up this week uh, and occasionally when i can get my finger out of my rear end we do special things in fact actually there's a um there's a, a, a vicious rumor going around on our whatsapp group that we might bring uh we might be doing a quiz night and uh, Dan seems to be quite up, or Dean certainly seems to be quite up for doing it, inviting a few of the Patreon members into that quiz night. So Patreon members, if you're listening, get hold of me if you're interested in that, and we'll we'll, we'll do a big quiz night with you lot. And if there's enough of us, we'll have to split it into teams, but it sounds like it could be fun, and we'll do it all on Zoom. So how about that? Interested, Jonathan? I've already replied, as long as have I you? bring Pedrito the seal. Of course. <laughs> of course. Clayton? Always up for a quiz. Yeah, me too. As long as I can be on Martin Wickham's team. Be brainy. Yes, Martin. I, I, I. In fact, I still have it here. You can't quite see it because it's out of shot. But up, up there, you might be able to see that on my shelf. That silver cup is the Chelsea Supporters Trust Quiz Cup, which I've won twice, largely because Martin was on my team both times. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, enough of me plugging stuff. It's now time for us to talk about. And as I said, I really love this part of the show. It's I'm becoming so enamoured of this it's not true but as you know 50 years of Chelsea we're going through every season from 1970 we're now up to 74 75 and if you recall from last week when we would we had the lovely Rick Glanville on um 
we thought that 73-74 was a pretty pants season. It was the lowest finish Chelsea had had since they'd come back up from the second division in the early 60s. So it was getting pretty grim. And as I said to, to, to Rick, it's one of the few times when you can really say that, you know, Chelsea were absolutely shit. But I'm glad that I wasn't there then because I, I had not yet turned up. <laughs> So the uh, the big news for 74-75 really was that uh, David Webb uh, had gone to QPR by this stage. Uh, Ozzy and, and, and Alan Hudson had already gone. David Hay had signed from Celtic uh, after Scotland had actually distinguished themselves at the 1974 World Cup finals where they, I think, uh, they drew. They drew nil-nil with Brazil uh, and they, they drew all of their games. So they're undefeated and they still won out. But they were impressive at the that's, 74. That's because they drew with Zaire. That's right. They, that's right. With that, yeah. And who else did they play? Yugoslavia? I can't remember, but I, I don't know. They, they, they mostly were nil-nil games. They were. But anyway, getting David Haig from Celtic was, was really quite impressive. We paid over 200 grand for him, which, remember, at the time, the club had absolutely no money because the East End cost so much money. The other signing, and this really interested me when I read Tim's book, was we signed John Sissons as a winger. Um, now, John Sissons turned out to be the last player Chelsea spent any money on for four years. And, of course, this has a lot to do with the other thing that happened uh, in the summer before we kicked off, which was the East Stand was finally finished. Um, now, of course, the first game was was at, uh, was at against Carlisle, which we lost 2-0, as we know. But before before we get into what happened and stuff in the early part of the season... You two, we we did you did you make the Carlisle game in the first game of the season? Jonathan did. Were you yeah. there, Clayton? Yes, I was. All right. So what what uh, I'll ask you first, Clayton. What was your impression? You you know you walk into Stamford Bridge and for the first time this bloody great big white elephant of a stand was finished. So what were your first impressions? Okay. So what you got to remember is that the first day of any season you are filled with hope. You're filled with wonderment. You're back at you're back at new football season, and you are always hopeful. Walked in. It was a very sunny day from memory, and um, I was standing in the shed. The east stand was to my right hand side. I was on the right hand side of the shed. I was very excited signing David Hay, who was the club record signing at the time, and we were playing a newly promoted team. What could possibly, possibly go wrong on the opening of our new stand? It was, as they say in the classics, proper Chelsea. It really was, wasn't it? 90 seconds, 90 seconds. Bill Green of Carlisle opened the scoring. Dreadful goal to concede, really awful. My all-time hero, having watched the two goals and the very... um, kindly provided link to the YouTube. I was horrified because he was at fault with probably both of them. Mr. Bonetti. Yeah. But the first one possibly mix up with the defenders. The second one, he sort of, I don't know. It was a complete freak, the second one, but um, he didn't cover himself in glory. Jonathan, what what were your, were you, you were still sitting in the, in the benches, were you at this stage or did you move to the East Stand? I think we moved to the East Stand. I think we were. Um, in the executive club? No, I, my my father's ticket from the seat. He decided that that was too expensive. Two so, pounds fifty. 
So uh, no. Well, no, sixty-five pound the season tickets there. Yeah, he had a season ticket in the um, the upper tier, uh, in the front row. I was right. That, so I could um, chai Ike and still be heard. And uh, I remember subsequently taking a girl with me. And um, what if he had two tickets? One season he very beautifully was doing quite well, and he bought me a ticket to sit next to him. And then he rarely went, so I used to try and take girlfriends and uh, um, the girl I was going out to see if they were interested in football. And I remember unbelievably fortuitously once the ball being um, kicked towards us in the upper tier. And I, and it was heading... It was a shot, was it? It was a shot, yes. And I, I was, uh, and it was heading towards this girl's head. And uh, I rather beautifully, in true wicket-keeping style, just went, Poop! and for anybody at home, I'm miming this in front of Clayton and Chidge, and just caught the ball beautifully and then just threw it back onto the pitch. Nonchalantly. Nonchalantly, yeah. <laughs> Thinking, God, bloody hell. Was it, was it a shot from one of our strikers? <laughs> yes, probably <laughs> was. Yes, then. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, if I remember rightly, because we'd spent the last few years in the, while it was being built in the West Stand, we were sort of put there temporarily. And because um, I used to sit, and that's when I, I started sitting with Jonathan Perez, um, who was um, uh, one of our, our our excellent listeners who uh, I, I see occasionally um, when he comes over from Israel. And um, he, uh, he sat with his sister, Deborah, and, um, and, the da- and their dad, who was fantastic, one of great Chelsea fans, um, uh, in the, uh, as I said, in the upper, t- upper, uh, the upper tier. And it was a great view. And I then, but I coveted the middle seats from the, in the executive area just because they seemed to be so much nearer to the pitch which they were subsequently when i sat there um but yeah it was about 65 quid i think Church, i think well i mean you know i'll be very honest with you i mean i i toddled up to, to Stamford bridge a couple of years later didn't i by accident really to see that semi-final the fa cup semi-final between southampton and palace and i i i, I swear to god it was the east stand that that brought me back Many years later, I fell in love with Chelsea because I just thought this thing, it looked like a spaceship had landed. It was so out of kilter and out of context with the rest of the ground. It was and so it just... surprisingly unfinished, though. That was the problem. There were so many things that short short, yeah. court, short circuits they'd taken with it, short cuts they'd taken with it. And yet it was still a great view and unbelievably impressive. I was was really impressed right. by it. It still is. But, yeah. It's... It's just it, 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 no, they've, they've obviously they've they've refurbished and made it up to stand because they want to get all the corporate people and the money in which they've succeeded in doing. But it it's very impressive. It's still a mm. very. It just looks so ridiculous having that with the rest of the ground. Yeah. Pieces that. You know. But I kind of like that. I don't know why that appealed to me as, a, as an 11, 12 year old kid. Because it, it's a bit like Lords. It's all yeah. got these different higgledy piggledy stands yeah. all to next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, but but what shouldn't be forgotten is that, okay, the money ran out, but but basically that was going to be a bowl. That was the first part of the bowl, but the bowl never got finished. Yeah, we never right. really got started after the East Stand. I mean, the East Stand was, I mean, at, in its time, it was ahead of its time, wasn't it? Because it yeah. was the first cantilever stand in, in the country. Yeah. You imagine that all of it would have been like that. It yeah, been, it would have been sensational. Sensational. Great vision, but very little practical sense. I mean, one thing that caught my eye in Tim's book was that, you know, clearly, you know, already we were seeing that the club finances were being impacted by 
uh, not only the, the 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 huge cost of that stand, but of course th- those costs increased because of, there was rampant am- inflation at the time, all sorts of badness going on with the economy globally. Uh, you know, we'd just come out of a three-day week, if you remember, and people were having to eat their dinner by candlelight, not in a romantic way. But, but the thing that caught my eye was that Brian Mears was adamant that basically Chelsea needed to get uh, a crowd of 35,000 in each game to break even, right? And this was at a time when uh, attendances across the country were actually all reducing. This will have further ramifications later on. But before we do that, I uh, just wanted to talk about Chelsea's early season form, which uh, to me uh, seems to be punctuated by slow hand claps, of which I'll ask you in a minute. But we lost to Carlisle. We drew away. Oh, sorry, we drew at home to Burnley, 3 all game we threw away. Uh, then we beat Coventry and Burnley away. Uh, and then we'll, we got Liverpool at home, which I'll, I, I'll talk about in more depth in a minute. But the team were basically pants. One of these things that again struck me, chaps, was that Sexton was playing Houseman, who, you know, because we've been doing these shows and we've been watching a lot of these clips that I've dug out from YouTube, I, I, you know, and I, I never really knew much about Houseman, but what a bloody player he was, as I'm now discovering. And, and, and I, I said to Rick, I think last week, or, or Marco on Friday, he was a very modern kind of player, the way he would pass the ball, those kind of inside balls. What on earth was he doing at left-back? And Chelsea were so poor, they were getting a lot of grief from the supporters. Do you remember the slow hand claps, JK? Well, non-stop. That was, that was the kind of major way that you expressed your dismay. Was uh, You didn't boo as, uh, as much as, as slow hand. And what a load of rubbish was the phrase you, that was used, that was chanted. What a load of rubbish! Exactly. Exactly. Get out of here! It was much politer than it would be nowadays. It would yeah. be a lot of... of uh, abuse and booing and um you know your mind you i think the odd uh you know you know fucking useless manager that that was that would be shouted out then as it is now um but and also also towards the end of the season constant chance of us good us good yeah we'll get to that we will get to that i've shot my bolt now haven't i no no pre-ejaculation from you this week but but that i remember in particular there was a um as the season got worse and worse um um but uh, can I just say something about what I uh, what always bemused me? If you look at it now, of course, is that everybody had long hair, um, which was uh, um, one of the even you like status quo. Yeah, indeed, it did. They couldn't help themselves. Well, that was yeah. yes. All the pop, all the pop singers had uh, had long hair. Um, uh, but yeah, it was it was um, the, the it, uh, yeah the the slow hand clap was a kind of I think that was quite common everywhere. It was as a sign of you weren't happy with stuff, but it was it would start really early on. I remember actually somebody would start it early on. I remember having a row with somebody because come back, some bloke started very early on, and I said, "Hang on, hang on, the game's hardly started, and they're playing quite well. What's the matter with you?" When everybody went, "Yeah, he's right, he's right, yeah, shut up!" And then after about twenty minutes, everybody went, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> Because it was shit, but uh, mm. but yeah, Clayton, um, a, a really poor start. Well, I mean, what do you make of Houseman being played at left oh, yeah, back? Yeah, sorry, I wanted to mention something about that. Sorry. No, well, I, I think, and sort of what Jonathan was probably about to say, um, and has said previously, is he was much maligned. Mm. He really was. He was the he was the modern day boo boy. He was he was basically he was the John you know he was John Obi Mikel the the misunderstand 
not quite to his level, but the fact that, that fans were picking on him and they called him Mary. Um, and, and it just wasn't fair. He, he was a team player. He did wonderful things. Um, great crosser, great crosser. And I think because Sexton like liked the clean cut, good people that didn't answer him back, that didn't give him any jip, he basically played him everywhere. Um, the John Sissons thing was a bit strange. I think. Well, that, that's why that's why Houseman yeah. was at left back, wasn't it? Exactly. To accommodate Sissons. Um, I can't apparently. remember. He uh, he played for West Ham, but I think we bought him from Norwich. Or it might be the yeah. other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just it was a big success with West Ham. He yeah, won his cup with West Ham. Yeah, I think he played in late sixties, didn't he? He played in the in their cup winning team. Yes. Um, but I mean, it 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 wasn't good. And I think the 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 thing was that as a youngster, one naively thought that you know, great signing, David Hay, uh, new stand, everything was going to be different. And the fact that it was getting worse and worse. It just, I don't, I, I can honestly say at that age, I wasn't, I mean, I, I you know, times were, were tough for everybody. You know, um, that was a recession that hit all families and I hit my family. And so money was, a was a thing and, and football was escapism. So you didn't try all this personally. I, you know, I didn't want to think about the money side of things and, and what, guys and girls listening to us now, and I don't want to sound like an old git, but I am an old git. You know, the fact is that the information you got at that time was from the newspaper and there was nowhere else. I mean, basically you don't, you didn't have wall to wall coverage on the radio. You didn't have obviously any sports channels on TV. And the only thing you got your information from was a newspaper and there'd be an occasional article and that would be it. I, one of the funniest things, and I don't know if it's been mentioned before, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's in Tim's book, but Frank McGee, who uh, wrote for the Daily Mirror at the time, said the East Stand is wonderful. The only problem with it is it's facing the pitch. <laughs> yes, I remember, I remember reading that. And that was never truer than really the first kind of, you know, I mean, even though we'd, we'd like, you know, won two, lost one and drawn one, we were clearly not playing very well. And then Liverpool turned up, who were a very good side, obviously, at the time, even though they were missing Keegan, of course, who was on his ban for getting into a scrap with Billy Bremner in the charity shield, I think, that, that summer. Uh, but we, we lost 3-0, but it could have been in double figures. Apparently, we were absolutely humiliated. We, we, were either of you there at that game? Uh, I can't remember being there, to be honest with you. JK? Uh, I was at uni at the time, so... All right. Well, I was in and out. I may have been, but I, I'm. Afraid. You don't remember it. I don't remember it. No. But uh, yeah, we were poor. We were humiliated, really. And there was a. There, I think there was a sense, you know, I, because you know, as ever with Chelsea, Mears and the press and everybody was saying, "Oh, you know, Chelsea have got a great squad and they can challenge the title again this year." I mean, they must have been smoking something. But really, there was a sense that that was the match that showed. Number one, in fact, there's a lovely phrase in, in Tim's book that that was the day the dream died. In other words, this dream of having a, uh, you know, the stadium rebuilt completely like the stand, uh, challenging for titles, having great players on the pitch, being this kind of great fancy, entertaining, you know, 60, sorry, uh, you know, Chelsea kind of side of the area and everything else. But really, that was the day that reality came home to roost, that actually our squad was utter rubbish. We weren't making any improvements on the pitch. Uh, it was the dying days of the Sexton regime, and there was absolutely no money because the East Stand had, 
and crippled it. But there was another thing that really caught my eye, which again seemed to epitomise what happened in the Liverpool match. And there was a sense that all the players seemed to be buckling under this huge pressure that they had to succeed due to the fact that we were in such dire financial straits. And, you know, the only way we could get out of that was by getting success, that this kind of is a theme that comes back in the cup runs later in the year. But there was this, you know, Tim picks up this thing quite well in the book, that there was a tremendous pressure on the players and they buckled under it, JK. Well, yeah, I, I always, I, I was at the Chelsea Liverpool game. I realised I was, I hadn't got. I, I, I always, I always think that was the presumption there that that was the the writing was on the wall. I thought it was too soon. And as Clayton was saying, you always have that presumption that the the season will somehow kickstart its way because it also there wasn't an era where if you started badly, um, you, you were unlikely to win the title. Because, yeah. Um, it, it was it was too well Derby ended up winning it didn't they yeah yeah and so there was still that thought that they'd keep going and they weren't fit enough and whatever um but uh, uh I think it, it it's as it, it reality seemed to kick in a little bit later I always still had had hope you know obviously the Carlisle game was a, was completely disastrous from a from a, I mean as you say proper Chelsea you just think oh well here we go there I mean but for a period Carlisle Carlisle were top of the league Carlisle uh, won their first three games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a consequence, they were being heralded as um, as the great new team. And then, who would have thought that by the end of the season they'd be relegated? Well, normal fact. Well, um, unlike Chelsea, who you know, going beyond the Liverpool match, basically we uh, we we didn't win a home match for our first quite a few matches we then went on a horrible run we lost uh, away to Ipswich who ended up being title challengers that season we got absolutely thumped by Derby 4-1 away they ended up winning the title and then we had a next home match on September the 28th where we played Wolves Wolverhampton Wanderers and we lost 1-0 and and apparently I mean you know I was gonna say apparently according to those who were there you you both may have been there but apparently again judging from Tim's book we were absolutely awful and that's when really people started giving it Sexton out. Do you remember that, boys? I I do remember that game, and the reason why I remember that game was it was without doubt. And um, how long had I been going for regularly? Only about three, four years. It was without doubt the worst game of football I'd ever seen. Yeah, it that's was what people were saying. Absolutely, it was just dreadful, and and we managed to lose. And it was just awful. It, I just couldn't. I was standing in the middle of the shed. I, I can't remember whether it was a midweek or a Saturday game, but it was raining and it was just, you just felt so low. And I, I think, as you say, that was like the third defeat on the bounce. Uh, we hadn't won at home since, or had we won at home? Well, we, we beat Newport in the League Cup, but yeah, not but in the we league. We hadn't won a league game at home, had we? By no, then? no. And it was just beginning to, you were thinking, oh, my word. And I think the, the the reality was dawning on us as to exactly how bad we were. Um, and I was, yeah, I I think <laughs> I think I was bored, witless. I think it gone beyond the despair of losing. I, it was just so poor. Jonathan, um, I, well, I think by then I was uh, I was up at university and um, you escaped it all. Yeah. No, I, I, the, the ticket was still there, whether my dad had gone and he'd ring me and just say it was appalling. Um, uh, but I, I, I think it was the season before it really, 
you sort of slightly lost hope with with Hudson and Osgood going, and you could see it was everything was in tatters except the the weird form of Charlie Cook, who was oh. uh, um, back to his best. And I I read a, a, a an interesting thing that in his book that he says he he mentioned he said himself that he'd actually been doing some extra training, which makes you realise that perhaps in the season before when he'd been transferred he wasn't actually really training much and i think he mentioned there were a lot of distractions at chelsea and i think he meant of the uh osgood and hudson and the park yes, yes indeed indeed which i think they all fell foul yeah. ultimately and mm. as i said before that's why my despair with osgood was such as that i he, he would never be one of my favorite players despite being unbelievably skillful because of the 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 mayhem that he created within the club, which he did. You, you've, you've got to actually say that he contributed to uh, the malaise as well. You can you can point your fingers at players and you can point your fingers at the um, uh, at the board, who I think behaved ludicrously. Um, but at the same time, uh, um, Os Osgood's involvement must not be. Um, not be on the back burner. It, it's a good point. It's a very good uh, segue, actually, because you know, basically, um, a, a mere matter of less than a week later, after a bit of protract, protracted musings in the press by Mears, uh, Sexton finally got the tin tack. Um, and I mean, let's you know, he'd been there for seven years. This was his eighth, eighth season. Up to that point, he was Chelsea's most successful manager ever. Um, and it all seemed to come to a very sad end. And in fact, it seemed to have been played out, as we know, for the last two or three years with huge rifts between him and the players, players acting out, best players going. But what, I mean, you know, Clayton, what, what do you think Dave Sexton's legacy is, really? You know, do you think he was treated unfairly? Was it, was it right that he went? Uh, you know, should, should some effort have been made to, to repair the damage between the relationship between him and Osgood and Hudson, who were clearly, I mean, Hudson went on to play for England and was bloody good, you know, not shortly after he went. So, I mean, what, what's Dave's legacy? How should we view him as a Chelsea manager, do you think? I, th I, think, it, I think it's a great legacy. I, I, you know, I think that he was let down both by the players and the board. I think he had no money. Yeah, I think the the club was was mismanaged, and when you basically you you win an FA Cup, you then win a Cup Winners Cup, and you get to the final of the League Cup, which you arguably should have won on the you know not necessarily on the day, but you should have won it in terms of who we were playing. Those things should have been built on, rather than not, and so I think. You know, it's like it's like everything. When things are going well, you've got loads of high regard, and and I think he what he he was held with um, affection by the fans, but things were left to drift, and he wasn't allowed to um, to build his squad because there wasn't any money. So I think, you know, part of me thinks that perhaps he should have gone the season before. And Osgood and Hudson, they should have brought in somebody to work with Osgood and Hudson. And Webb. Webb should have stayed, of course. Yeah, and Webb. Um, and, and perhaps that would have been, that, that may have arrested the curve. However, they were committed to the East Stand. And, and if you haven't got any money, you know, it's hard to know whether Osgood and Hudson would have stayed and played for somebody else. I mean, I, I heard last week um, 
Rick was talking about maybe, you know, Clough would have come in. Well, that would, you know, that, that would have been sensational. Um, but would they have treated anybody else better? Dave Sexton was inherently a nice man. Mm. Um, and he was taken advantage of, I suspect, both by the club and by the players. Um, but for me, his legacy will always be a good legacy. It's not his fault um, that the finances went tits up um, and, the, and the club just plummeted. Mm. Jonathan, I think that's a fair point. I think if, if Sexton was guilty of anything, it was, you know, he wasn't a very good communicator or man manager. But, I mean, we all know he was a fantastic coach. And I actually think that, you know, it, it, I think Clayton's right. I think, I mean, it's easy to say this with, with you know, nearly 50 years worth of hindsight. But actually, the be- the better option would have been to have rebuilt the team first and then think about the stadium uh, because building that East Stand really killed it because that just deprived Sexton of any funds necessary. And he needed to rebuild that team because they were already beginning to go past their peak in about 71, 72, weren't they? Well, they needed to do an, an aspect of, uh, of investment in the team and in the ground. They should have been much more uh, on the case as regards um, the, the, time of, the time that the stadium was being built as well. They should have put... Uh, uh, the, the builders should have taken some of the responsibility because it was a bad time to build, which I think they could have had written into their contracts. As it was, Chelsea just took absolute responsibility for deadlines and building. And they missed out penalty clauses, didn't they, Chelsea? Absolutely. Yeah. The ludicrous, the contracts that were drawn up were absurd. And I also don't understand why there wasn't any other investment when it became apparent that uh, they were having to channel player sales into paying off the interest. It was a strange setup. You wondered whether even at this stage there were some members of the board who perhaps had their eyes on selling the ground and making an enormous profit. It it smacks of that to me, which of course began to unravel as the seasons next few seasons went on. Um because it 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 just um it was like a bugger's muddle. No it wasn't it, <laughs> it beggared belief. It did the, yeah. the 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 absolute idiocy, and I mean that some of the things that um, I remember that um, that Tim put in his book about how uh, there seemed to be competition between some of the board as to how lavish the spending could be from a, a social point of view um, from a uh, within the the restaurants because they at some stage the the Chelsea restaurant was was unveiled to the general public called imaginatively. Chelsea's, which you know you think was was quite clever doing that. Whoever came up with that, and um, uh, but I think the I think they had the opportunity, didn't they? The guy who put all the money into Palace came in and said, "I'm willing to give you a large amount of money if you'll have me on the board," and he was rejected. So um, the the complete lack of of planning, um, uh, foresight, um, it, it it was. If, if ever a club was going to disintegrate, this was absolutely the right way to do it. Um, and, and also, I think the dilemma for Sexton was that he was a very, very um, free-thinking, uh, novel coach um, in an era where coaches just tended to get on with it and just say to the players, well, you know what to do, there's the pitch. Whereas he was, he'd go abroad and analyse other teams' ways of playing. And I think to go back to, to Hausman, the reason that he played Hausman at left-back was he was attempting to use him as an overlapping fullback in an era where um, that hadn't even that wasn't really. Or well, Doherty did it to an extent, but it wasn't the the norm to have the fullback 
nipping up the wing um, and Sisson's moving inside. And I have to say, when Sisson first played for Chelsea, I actually thought, wow, great, Johnny Sisson's, of course, forgetting that he was about 32 and had hardly played. And uh, when he did play, he looked like a, a, a wheezing uh, gut bucket. No, I've just made that up. I don't know what that means. But anyway, but he looked a bit, bit, bit uh, out of his depth. But that was, I think, the thinking behind Hausman playing there. But of course, he'd never played fullback and was. I remember, I remember watching him play fullback and thinking, "You can't do this." And of course, he got the bird more and more. Poor old, mm. poor old Hausman. As a consequence, but um, uh, to answer, your, to carry on with your question, I think, I think they, the the board were were hugely to blame. Poor old Sexton couldn't cope with the 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 personalities of the in fact the personalities of the flair players were, were what he couldn't actually deal with that he, he because when he went to queen's park rangers of course he had stanley bowles as a flair player and he was quite happy to see him play as well as having a balance he had thomas on the wing for queen's park rangers well he was a fantastic player and i have to say that i hate to hate to admit it i watched rangers several times in that season when they were uh, under sexton and they were terrific and Sexton, having been at Chelsea, went to Rangers and his tactics were absolutely superb, as they were a lot of the time. He's always trying to implement things, didn't have the players to do it. And I think actually the Weller situation where it all fell apart, as we've discussed, it before, discussed before, I think it was either Weller or Harris that had to go because of the, the fact that they'd had a big fight. And I think he was prone to trying to get rid of players because he couldn't deal with them. And I think at that stage, the club should actually have got a personality manager in and stopped it. And they should have bought, uh, they bought, what was the other bit? Hay, for example, we talked about David Hay. David Hay was dreadful all year. Dreadful. I remember watching him and thinking, 250,000, you've spent it on him. He's, he can't play, play midfield. He started playing him at centre half. He was okay. He was never, never good enough. But Sexton didn't buy him, they reckon. No, no, indeed, indeed, the board bought him. Yeah, well, what mm. ridiculous! When they needed, they needed to be shored up in so many other positions. Locke was excellent at fullback, left back. They didn't have anybody. They got rid of Mulligan. Um, no, Mulligan was, was right wing. Well, right back wasn't he? Um, didn't have anybody. That's why he was struggling there. He put Sparrow there. Sparrow never ever. Made it well, let's 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 walk before yeah. we run. I mean, we'll, we'll get to Johnny Sparrow in a little. In fact, we ought to we ought to have a break uh, because uh, we've got plenty more to talk about after the break, uh, including it, it. Kind of all gets a lot worse. I, I hate to tell you after the break, culminating in, I mean, a match that, as I said, even though I hadn't found my way to Chelsea, even I was aware of this match, the Battle of White Hart Lane, and then subsequently relegation. But uh, there you go. Um, now, if you if you enjoy kind of hearing about this era of Chelsea and some of the players involved, then I can do nothing better than commend you to the Chelsea special because I did a load of interviews with some of the players who featured in this, um, including uh, Johnny Boyle, Tommy Baldwin, uh, Chopper Harris, of course, uh, and also, as well as that, Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tamling, two of our greatest ever goal scorers, and... Uh, Johnny Bumstead and Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Paul Cannibal from the, the, the later years, the 80s in particular. And they are absolutely riveting. These guys know their onions and, and recall this, this time brilliantly and with a lot of affection. And they're easy to get hold of. You can download them all at chelseaspecial.podbean.com. Uh, there's a small charge of £2.99p for each one, which uh, covers the cost of producing them. Uh, simply subscribe to Podbean, as I said, chelseaspecial.podbean.com and uh, click on buy single episode when you get to the home page and then you can listen to or download uh, any episode you want and of course there's a website chelseaspecial.com 
Twitter at Chelsea underscore special and Facebook the Chelsea special. So there you go. Right, we'll be back talking about more doom and gloom from Chelsea's annals after the break. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Football Fancast. This is the Chelsea Fancast and uh, we are looking back in our 50 Years of Chelsea series to um, the 1974-75 season and uh, David Sexton's uh, kind of been given the tin tack and they they put in uh, Ron Seward and uh, interestingly Eddie McCready who had obviously stopped playing for us only, only very recently and, and was the captain in fact He's now made the first uh, the the assistant well first team coach or assistant manager depending on how you view it. Um, but I'm afraid things do not really change for the better. I mean, actually, their form picked up, and it seems to me. I mean, there's nothing like a one nil win against Tottenham, Clayton, to get things back uh, going back in the right direction. But uh, we then had this kind of awful kind of uh, series of matches against Stoke City. Uh, in the League Cup, we had to play them three times because of a replay. And this is the third time we've played Stoke in the League Cup in three seasons. And horror upon horror, uh, we got knocked out by Stoke City in the most inglorious fashion uh, in October, losing 6-2. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I, uh, not because I was there, because it was away, it was midweek, and obviously I was still at school. Um, but this was in the days of endless replays, uh, which happened both in the FA Cup and in the League Cup. And, and basically, we drew at home to all, and then we drew away 
one all um, after extra time. And then the th from out of nowhere, we suddenly then get thump 6-2, which is bizarre. Um, so that was the League Cup done in the sort of second round as far as we were concerned. And then lo and behold, if we didn't have to then bloody play them again on the Saturday. Yeah, in the league. Which was absolutely um, it, uh, sick of the sight of them. But it was it was quite interesting because that was one of the games I remember. And it was quite interesting to refresh my memory on YouTube. And what was the most ironic thing is, is basically we went 1-0 down. And it was 1-all, 2-1 down, 3-2 down. And it was great because we kept coming back and we... we you know, we equalised and, and sort of scored right at the end. But the, the huge irony, and I hadn't really thought about this till I was watching it on YouTube, was the first two goals were from long throws from Ian Hutchinson, which were eventually bundled in um, to the net, which is absolutely hysterical, seeing all those years I used to sit there tutting at um, Rory DeLapp, you know, hurling in long throws. Um, boring us all to death um, but that that was how poor we were um, I do think it's absolutely hysterical in, in what was yet another you know a really awful season that we still managed to beat Spurs at home as you say for our first uh, league win of the season at home um, but yeah I mean it was just it was uh, at that time we weren't you could tell we, we were just a side in, in, in just massive decline and, and we weren't very good at all um, but at least we showed a bit of spirit that afternoon. Well, actually, that that's the thing. I mean, you know, that was actually that that six two defeat uh, to Stoke in the League Cup was was the first defeat uh, for Ron Sewart and Eddie McCready. So they they had shored things up, but it was a weeny bit agricultural. In fact, actually, from what I recall, people kept moaning about Chelsea kicking lumps out of of everybody. So they, he'd got they'd got the spirit back. But I think you're right. I mean, the I'm reality sure Eddie was McCready had nothing to do with that. None at all. But that you know. <laughs> As I said, they got the spirit back, but the reality was they just weren't good enough. And right. uh, but even by this stage of the season, which we're not even at Christmas, and people are already talking about relegation because, I mean, actually the interesting thing was I looked at um, the league table and uh, there were three there were three uh, London teams uh, in the relegation zone: Tottenham, Arsenal, and Chelsea, which is also almost unprecedented, wasn't it, J.K.? Yes, everybody was suffering from um, ineptitude at that uh, stage of their uh, of their history. Um, uh, I think Spurs had been uh, were descending, weren't they? They'd had quite a decent uh, decent run. Or was it? But when did they when did they get into the um, UEFA final? Year before, I think. Oh, that's right. That, so therefore, it was slightly a bit of a shock that they were doing so badly. Um, but they had quite a decent side, Spurs, and uh, I can't remember the. Uh, I can't remember Arsenal having a great side. I don't even the season before. I think it was more predictable that well, Arsenal yeah, but, down there because they weren't playing very well. But they won the double in seventy one, and the F, they were in the FA Cup final in seventy two. But it's really interesting, isn't it, how quickly teams, you know, fell from grace in those days. I mean, yeah. even even Leeds, who won the title the year before, and then Clough. Yeah tried to kill them and they I mean really early on in the season I mean I, I saw one of the tables that Tim has reproduced and you had Chelsea Arsenal Spurs and Leeds all at the bottom 
which you know we and we were above them actually so it made it made really pleasant reading but uh, sadly it didn't it didn't stay that way i'm just going to read this quote out because i just just talking about the spirit that was reinvigorated by Sewer and uh, macready this is about ron harris who was kneading the ribs and was coughing up blood and vomiting at half time he played the second half despite chelsea jo- dr john vise telling him at the interval if you go back you're taking your life into your hands now, it was a suspected punctured lung, but an x-ray showed it turned out to be deep chest bruising. So if you ever wondered about Ron Harris's commitment to Chelsea, you know he often famously says he'd walk through a brick wall for the club. I mean, that, that's just borderline insane, isn't it? Fantastic, though, Clayton. Yeah, but that, that, that doesn't come as much of a surprise, really. I mean, he was a consistent contributor, you know, I I think it's like anybody. He his form suffered with the team, and you know, and he was Mr. Chelsea. You know, Youth Cup winning captain, FA Cup winning captain. He'd been there his whole life, um, and he, he he just saw players around him getting worse and worse, and, and consequently his form dip. But you could because never he ever cast his sell by date at that time as well. Yeah, wasn't he, really? he was. He was. He was on the decline as well. But you could never. Never, ever. You know, it's it's like people, modern day equivalent, not in terms of how they play, but however much Cesar Asby Laqueta gets it in the neck from fans, which he does a lot, unfairly, you could never, I've never, ever seen him give up. I've never seen him give anything less than 100%. Sometimes that isn't good enough, but... Harris was the same. You'd never ever say to him, oh, you know, he took the day off there, didn't he? Wasn't true. He he was really yeah, I mean that that story sums him up to be honest. He'd be found out occasionally. I was reading something about as Pelisqueta, somebody saying that, that one of the reasons that also one should praise him is the fact that he's hardly ever been out of the side, but his consistency with always being somebody to to uh to have there, and he's not injured, is his his playing through pain as well is very similar to the kind of commitment that Harris. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, as it rolls on, uh, you know, basically we end up getting knocked out of the cup by Birmingham at home, 1-0 in January. So basically by now we're in the relegation zone, we're out of the League Cup, we're out of the FA Cup, which has a massive ramification on the club because, of course, Mears was hoping to generate a lot of cash much needed cash by an extended uh run in the uh fa cup there's a wonderful description of him chain smoking throughout matches looking looking you know horrified at the whole proceedings that were were, were unfolding were either of you at the the cup match against birmingham yeah horrible is it horrible yeah but there was something even more horrible which actually funnily enough um came into view uh, after we got thumped by Man City last uh, a couple of seasons. It was Sarri, wasn't it? So, I mean, last season, when we went to Wolverhampton Wanderers, who were only in mid-table, actually, although seemed to have the, like Stoke, had the Indian sign on us for a while, but we lost 7-1 away to Wolverhampton Wanderers on the 15th of March, That's 1975. Good players, Wolves. John Richards. Hinden was a fantastic winger. Was this the game where they scored seven goals in about 30 minutes? Was Something it nil-nil like at half-time? Might well have been. I think that was Newcastle when we lost 5-0. But nil-nil up there at half-time, and then it, we just capitulated. But this was 
just awful. I just wanted. I mean, there's, there's there's no significance to the match whatsoever, other than the fact that it's our biggest loss for a long time. And I just wondered what you remember about that, because you would have been very much in touch with that at the time. Either of you remember it? What were your kind of re- reactions to it? Well, I remember I remember the score, but I I I um I'm afraid by then my enthusiasm for the season had waned. Um, but that 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 was loyal supporter. Yes, no, that, that's going back to what I was saying. You know, if it wasn't on match of the day or yeah. the big match, and you, it was just like a column inch. Yeah. Those things just don't leave any impression. I don't. How think lucky! I know. I, I <laughs> you know, you just had to sort of be depressed and look at the paper and just. I think you know. I can't remember whether the old teleprinter was going then. You know, you used to watch that on a Saturday afternoon, um, but I don't remember. I I I don't specifically remember that. Um, but I do. I was at the next game. I was at the QPR game that we lost one nil. Yeah, I think at, I was there as well. Yeah. At Loftus Road. Um, and because it was a London derby, no other reason. There was no reason to want to go to anything at that time. Um, but I just, I mean, before we come on to the denouement, I, I just think it's typical Chelsea, you know, just looking at the scores that season, we're all a bit bizarre. I mean, we won at Arsenal, we won at West Ham, just, and we drew at Liverpool, who were second. So, you know, and hopefully, if you look at it, we sort of... Well, I, I was going to say, I mean... The the day the day a day after losing to Wolves seven one uh, we were in sixteenth place right remember three went down so nineteen hang on what was it twenty twenty one twenty two we're in sixteenth place we're seven points clear of relegation so basically everything was to play for we sh- you know and and our running wasn't too bad you know so conceivably we we could get out of the shit yeah and then. It all goes very horribly wrong because basically, um, Ron Seward gets the uh, not he gets kind of bumped upstairs, really, doesn't he? Uh, and uh, what was the match that precipitated it? Basically, it was yeah, that's right. We lost. We lost to guess what? We lost to Stoke again. This is now in April, beginning of April, and then we lost to Man City uh, one nil at home. Do you remember that either? Of you, either of you? No. No, no. Okay, well now, now we're in the shit properly. We're now uh, basically a point. Uh, I think we're on equal points with Spurs. Here we go. Yeah, we're now in nineteenth on thirty-one points, and Spurs are twentieth on thirty points. All right, we've got Spurs away. We've got Sheffield United at home and Everton at home. Those are our last three matches. So we're now going to White Hart Lane, which is widely touted as. Uh, a relegation decider. Ron Seward's been bumped upstairs. Eddie Mack's been made the manager. And he decides to make some massive changes for arguably the most important game that Chelsea have had for 15 years. And he makes Ray Wilkins the captain. Of course, Ray had come in earlier in the season. He's had quite a number of games this season and, and started to make something of an impact. Uh, and he replaces John Hollins as captain, who is also, by the way, dropped and then sees it as the end of his Chelsea career, and pretty much it was. He's only 28, Holland. Only 28, I know, which I, I, I forgot how young he was. I mean, I know he went, he then went off to QPR and Arsenal, didn't yeah. he? And, and yeah. you know, before he came back to us. Um, but, yeah, I forget how young he was. They did they did say, it was an interesting point about Holland, they said that he did see he had slowed down a bit, but he had changed his game. He was a more thoughtful player as he got older. And, and and directing traffic more than that bustling player that I remember 
seeing footage of earlier on in his career. So anyway, we're go up, going up to White Hart Lane uh, for what is technically a relegation decider with a team managed by Eddie Mack who's basically bunged in the youth at the expense of the uh, experienced players. Uh, and interestingly enough, you know, Seward had had basically, you know, backed his his call on putting the experienced players in beforehand, and they had kind of somewhat let him down. There was a sense that they'd just jacked it in, really. So you can see that Eddie Mack made the right decision in some respects, but for a huge game like that, Clayton, you were there. Set the scene. Well, I've set the scene. Tell us what happened. Well, um, I went with my Tottenham supporting uncle, sat in the old West Stand. Um, and as I think I, I mentioned on a previous um, appearance on the pod, um, there was the most unbelievable crowd trouble. And I mean, you think you've seen crowd trouble, but you haven't. This was a pitched battle on on the pitch itself. It was just, it was just the most... Pitch battle on the pitch. It was the most extraordinary thing. There is a very, very small snippet on YouTube, yeah. uh, which I besiege you to watch because you can then get some idea i mean the pitch was covered i mean i i, I kid you not the, it was absolutely covered with people um whacking seven bells out of each other which is just incomprehensible now i mean you know if you get the occasional herbert that runs onto the pitch these days you know people have a seizure but then it was just i mean it, it was the atmosphere was horrible um there were over 50,000 there, I know that. Um, and it was, an, as I described previously, the, the most bizarre thing at five to three. Out comes Jack Taylor with a ball um, in his hand, marching towards the centre circle, puts the ball down as, as the police eventually get the, um, get the pitch clear. And it was just, it, it, well, as I say, these days, you, it, it's hard to imagine a scene like it. But anyway, the, the point was that I, I was so excited to see Ray Wilkins as captain that day. Um, I mean, it was obviously very nervous and we didn't want to lose, etc., etc. Having refreshed um, my memory by looking at the uh, the big match highlights, we were so unlucky that day. Yeah. And it is just extraordinary. Um I remember I remember we lost. I remember we lost 2-0, obviously. I remember Alfie Conn scored one of the goals who they bought from Glasgow Rangers, who was sort of like a poor man's George Best. Um, I mean, in the first half, Pat Jennings made two saves, one of which was just world-class. I had this real dilemma because I obviously disliked Tottenham with every sinews in my body but I loved goalkeepers and Pat Jennings was just about one of the greatest goalkeepers I've ever seen um so that save from Hutch was extraordinary point blank point from that, blank it? header and it, I watched it this afternoon yeah. that header it was one of those headers where he, he didn't just let the ball hit his head he led yeah. back and absolutely hammered it with his head didn't he and pe- uh, people should watch it it and was behind him when I he know. tipped it over I know he he was that sort of guy one of the greatest saves I've ever seen was I saw uh, a save he made when he was playing for Tottenham at Highbury um, and it was a header from I think it might have been Alan Ball from just six yards out I had absolutely no right to get the ball. Um, just a phenomenal goalkeeper. So the save from Hutch, uh, we had a disallowed goal for handball, which I'd say was 50-50. Could have gone either way. 
Um, and so we went in a half-time nil-nil. Should have basically um, been leading. Spurs did nothing. I think John Phillips made one save just before half-time. Second half was fairly even. Um, they scored a goal from a breakaway, which um, <sighs> poor marking. Uh, but again, it was mostly us on the attack. And then I can't remember if it was one nil or two nil, but it was. But Ray Wilkins missed an open goal. It was such a shame. Um, and then we had another goal disallowed, which I think on the basis that Mickey Droy completely pummeled Pat Jennings. Um, <laughs> I think you could get away with that. And then um, from a corner, Alfie's gone, Con scored their second goal, um, which was actually quite reminiscent, not in the build-up, but the, the strike that Marcus Alonso had this season against Spurs at home. It was from that sort of area. Um, and that was it. But I, I, I mean, it was... It was a very memorable day for all sorts of reasons. But I think that, you know, the general misconception is that that sent us down. It didn't. But we had two home games um, against two sides, albeit they were in the top five, six in the table. But on the basis we went down by a point, if we would have won either one of those games. Well, if we'd have drawn against Tottenham. Yeah. Because if we'd have drawn against Tottenham, they'd have had you know, 33 points, we'd have had 34. Yeah. E- even even by the fact that we did draw against Sheffield United at home and Everton at home, and as you say, both winnable games. Yeah. So appalling that we didn't manage to squeeze a result out of either of those two. But you're right. If think- we'd have drawn against Tottenham, they'd have gone down, not us, JK. Don't you think with them we'd have been relegated the following year? Yes. <laughs> because they were so- Spurs were. Two, two Spurs were, later. weren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was so poor. I mean, I, I keep going on about the David Hayes signing. I just didn't get it. They, they, they he had a cataract operation soon afterwards. Yeah. Apparently, he hadn't recovered from the World Cup, and he didn't because his season started. But the excuses for this supposed fantastic player was just—I just used to watch him every game and go, "What, what, what have we bought here?" The dreadful thing, you know, you're trying to get behind your team. I mean, the dilemma I've got with all of these games, of course, is I've and all my programs are in storage. If I um, I, I discover I probably went to lots of these games, I've just completely forgotten all about them. I mean, for for very for deliberately, in many reasons, because of the pain. I can't, you know, some of these you're watching them just just dribble away or just play dreadfully. I mean, what I was impressed about with the the Tottenham game even in the little clips I saw um, on, on the big match, was how good Wilkins was. Oh, was brilliant. Quite, quite remarkably uh, on the ball. And the Chelsea's ability to create this these odd players like Hudson and not take advantage of the situation. They're playing yeah. out of them. Locke was a really terrific fullback. Yeah, agreed. Yet, as we said last week, Chich, he, he should have played for England, but he was surrounded by real mediocrity, unfortunately. Getting onto it was Sparrow tried his heart out, never quite up to it. Britain, similarly, bus, constantly bustling. You've got to give it to him for effort, but was never quite good enough. And in fact, the I actually, the Jennings save that um, from Wilkins through pass to, uh, to Britain's Britain, yeah. shot, I thought was as equally brilliant, actually. I thought because he was, uh, many other... Goalkeepers now would got nowhere near it because he hit it really well, Britain, very low. But he just says huge hands that he had. Talking of huge hands, there's a lovely moment in that clip where um, Jack Taylor books Locke at the very beginning, and um, and it's in close up, and he says to him, "Name," and uh, Locke clearly is slightly slightly uh, 
by being asked this and goes <laughs> something. And he actually goes in close up, what? Like then you can see Lot going, uh, uh, and you think it's an era where referees didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, here, Gary, don't do that again. I'm going to have to take your name, mate. Yeah, off you go. It wasn't any of that. It was, you scum of the earth, come over here. You know, who are you? I don't know who you are. I'm going to send you off if you carry on. There was a kind of power that the referees had in those, particularly Taylor. My goodness. He, he, but he, he refereed the World Cup final, didn't he, that year? He did, he did. 1974. Yeah, yeah. And he, hadn't he done the... Uh, he gave he gave Germany or get, no he gave Holland a penalty right, against West minute. Germany in West Germany in the first minute of the final. Yeah, but they big balls. They, they won those, so we didn't matter. Obviously, um, big balls. But I also loved about that Spurs game was the fact that we wore change kit of just yeah the socks, the socks. lovely socks weren't they great socks? Yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not suggesting we ever get rid of the white because that's so traditional. I love it. But that was a blue with the red flashing, red and black tops. Really, yeah. really uh, um, I never very Rangers, yeah, indeed. Well, there's there's always that hint of that. Um, uh, and also, the lovely thing about watching the game, and I, I try to explain to people the, the fact the body shape was so different in the players because they didn't really work out in the same way, they didn't have diets or or setups that allowed them to to become Greek gods, you know. So they're all little, little wiry blokes with this huge hair. Britain was on his way to that bizarre kind of. <laughs> tea cozy thing that went inside <laughs> of his head you know which he had the following season well they looked like they walked off the set of the suite yeah you know didn't they with those really kind of straight kind of round head and their haircuts weird bits that hung down. yeah, yeah. con was an example bizarre thick kind of lion like mutton chops yeah with huge bloody great things that i think you've very ugly but bloke i thought Alfie con yeah It'd cut your face if you had physical contact with him. Um, uh, and, and what else? Um, uh, it was interesting seeing Cook as well, just playing out of his skin. Well, he had a real Indian summer, didn't he? Because, of course, we had brought him back from Palace and, and he was now 32. And he was actually, he got back on the Scotland side, didn't he, that he season? Picked. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, he, in fact uh, I think he brought them back from a game, didn't he? Because who else did they pick? They picked um, Hay. David Hay. Hay. Yeah. Uh, and and he, he, they were annoyed because Stuart and McCready wanted them to play and you know have extra training for another game. Um, another thing which you look was those for, for people who have no idea about this. In in order to give half time results, they'd have numbers. They'd have letters round the pitch. There'd always be a part of the ground that was this kind of like scoreboard thing. They have one at Chelsea in the um, next to the North Stand, where you just have a letter which corresponded to a letter in the program of the match of the team. And then somebody would just put the halftime scores with numbers against them. And there's a there's a lovely one of that on just underneath one of the, the stand, probably the West Stand at Spurs. Um, and the other thing I, I'm, I'm intrigued about that this era is the everybody had a scarf in the in the crowd. So you'd always have um, any exhortation from the team. Everybody would either have it on your wrist, but no, but people would get it out and hold it a lot. So you there, there was yeah there there was basically there was a you'll never walk alone from the Spurs fans in yeah. in the Paxton yeah. Yeah. and then basically there was a I remember watching a, a a YouTube with with Charlie and and we were singing you'll never walk alone in the seventies and I was going <clears throat> and <we> just, <laughs> just fast forward that it was, like a, it was like a weird generic 
you know, it was we're, we're behind you song, which suddenly got embraced by Liverpool in a way I never understood because everybody sang it. It was just a song from a musical that somebody thought that's a good. It was a bit like um, We Shall Not Be Moved. Everybody sang that. But it was quite, it's quite funny. You talk about everybody having scarves in that fight on the pitch. When I was like watching it, I was actually thinking there weren't that many people wearing colours as it were, you're quite right. I mean, I had the old silk scarf and the woolen scarf wrapped around the wrist and all that, that nonsense. But the interesting thing is nobody wore shirts. No, no, well, they weren't. The clubs hadn't got their yeah. whole merchandising thing together. No. But get shirts, you could got one, I remember, because I got a, a couple. I got my dad bought me one. But once again, that was from Frank Blunston's shop, which appeared to be the focus for that. In yeah. He would have them. And Lavender course, Hill. Indeed, absolutely. And I got my my 1966 um, Inter Milan colour for the, for the semi-final and wore that up to the semi-final. Of course, they got beaten 2-0 by Sheffield Wednesday and they wore that. But there, there were, I remember getting a Chelsea shirt, but my mum had to sew the badge on because yeah, they, didn't, yeah, they didn't come together. You had to buy the shirt, the raw blue Umbro shirt or whatever it was then, and you had to buy the, the badge and sew it on separately. And the white stripe as well you put on the side of the shorts, you had to buy that as well. <laughs> Mad, that's brilliant. Um, just to kind of wrap wrap this all up, um, you know, contrary to Jonathan's popular opinion, we, we didn't get relegated because we bought David Hay. Although he, <laughs> he, 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 it would be lovely to pin it on him. It would be lovely to pin it. Fifty thousand, they could have bought. I know. Players. Well, that that's a very good point. I'm not not disagreeing with it entirely. But I mean, if I just read this out to you, this this tells us why we went down. We conceded seventy two goals, which was the equal worst in the division. Um, but we were equally rubbish up front. Hutch was the the top scorer with seven goals. <laughs> right, we we got eight points from our last fourteen games. You know, this is why we got relegated. And 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 again, there was a lot. I'm sure you, I know you've both read Tim's book. I mean, we all have. It's such a great piece of work. And th- this this phrase uh, kind of came out at me towards the end of that chapter. And and it kind of picks up on what, what you were saying, Jonathan, which was if we had a survive, we would have probably gone down the next season because things weren't getting any better. But there was a sentence in there that said, perhaps it was better to lance the boil and kind of submit to the inevitable. In other words, to get, get it over and done with now. And as we'll see next week, in some respects... In some respects, that that was that was not far from uh, what happened, uh, but I'm going to wait until next week to describe that. The only thing, I, other thing, I will add is that uh, you know, given that the club financially needed a capacity, you know, a, a, an average crowd size of thirty-five thousand throughout the season to break even, we hit twenty-seven thousand three hundred eighty. So that was well below what they needed to break even, which had a further impact on the finances. But the other interesting thing, this has to be put in context. You know, crowds at the football grounds in England were declining massively in that period, which I think was a combination of both hooliganism, but also the economy, which is absolutely in the toilet, wasn't it, Clayton? Absolutely. I remember um, I went to because in those days um, you could pay on the door. And so you went to games with schoolmates. And so consequently, I went to games if because it was all obviously Saturday and I went to see Arsenal play on alternate Saturdays because I went with an Arsenal mate. And then I, one Saturday, I went to see QPR play Derby. And I remember my mum going absolutely mental about the fact that I was wasting money by going to football. 
to go and see a game where my team wasn't playing. So money money was tight then, and it it was a, it was quite a depressing time, especially during the power cuts and the three day week and all the rest of it. So yeah, I mean, I do think that the uh, yes, it was the economy, but I do think the hooliganism had a huge impact on attendances because it really, I, I mean, that Spurs thing was obviously the zenith of the hooliganism, but going to and from games. I mean, it was not nice. I mean, if you lived in London and you sort of get in the tube in, I'd come home from a Chelsea game, bedecked in my scarves and what have you, and then, you know, Arsenal be playing at home and you'd get a, you'd get a kick in. You know, it, it, was, it really wasn't very nice. So I think that, that had a lot to do with the declining attendances. Mm. You were very brave because I gave up wearing my colours just for that very reason. Well, I, I mean- gave up wearing them after I got a kick in. Yeah, no, I got, I got my, my school colours were black and white. I remember wearing my school scarf and being beaten up by Chelsea fans. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 I got kicked twice very hard by blokes saying, yeah. full. I said, I'm not full. I'm not. I'm a Chelsea fan. Ow, ow, ow. And then before I legged it rather pathetically. Well, there we go. Well, we're going to have to leg it out of this part. Uh, hopefully not quite as pathetically. Um, before we do, just a reminder that on Fridays we've got our My Chelsea series. Jonathan and Clayton have both done theirs. We had Marco last week. Uh, you may have to put up with me this Friday unless I can find somebody else to go in the hot seat. Uh, but they're great fun, fun, as I know the boys will attest to. And uh, if you're stuck for other things to listen to, uh, we can commend you to Alex Churchill, the girl who likes balls. Wonderful history hack. Uh, and she's done some amazing stuff. She's got some incredible people on, like the cast of Band of Brothers, the cast of Sharp, cast of Hornblower, all talking about those periods in history. And you can find that at historyhack.podbean.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.